as I mentioned last week, for the next several weeks, I will be doing, uh, preaching through some free texts, some texts that I've been thinking and praying about and wanted to preach to you. And this morning we look at the letter of Paul to Philemon, beginning at verse 1. Let us now hear God's word. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thus far, the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of Christ, this letter to Philemon is a very personal letter, and it's a very remarkable example of the very heart of the Christian faith and practice. It's essentially a letter that promotes and teaches the application of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we have here is grassroots Christianity. Grassroots Christianity. The gospel applied in everyday life. Love for and faith in Lord Jesus Christ, 
manifests itself in love for your neighbor. Paul's letter to Philemon is very personal and very unique when you compare it to his other letters. We see the gospel applied both in Paul's life, Onesimus' life, and in the life of Philemon. As we work through this text in Verses 4 to 22, or actually verses 8 to 22, will be my sermon text, but verses 4 to 7 are essential to the rest of his letter. And we'll look at those verses as well, but in the context of verses 8 to 22, where we see the gospel applied. And first of all, we see love. Love passionately appeals on behalf of a brother in the Lord Jesus. The gospel applied means that love passionately appeals on behalf of a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in your Bible at verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you what to do, that which is required, yet for love's sake, for the sake of love, I prefer to appeal to you, to exhort you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. For love's sake, Paul passionately appeals to Philemon for a man called Onesimus, whose name means useful. Passionately, because listen to the terms of endearment that he has for Onesimus. Calls him his son. His very heart is with Onesimus. He appeals for Onesimus, who happens to be Philemon's runaway slave. For whatever reason, Onesimus ran away from Philemon's household, perhaps even committing theft, taking his possessions as he left. And as Philemon's possession, that means he belonged to Philemon, he was under Philemon's house, And now Onesimus finds himself in the presence of the Apostle Paul in prison in Rome. Some interpreters believe that Onesimus asked Paul to appeal for him. Hey Paul, can you plead for me on my behalf? Rather than Paul taking the initiative to appeal to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. Because that was very common in those days for a slave or a bondservant to appeal to the friend of a master. There's an interesting story that's recorded by a person named Cassius Dio. And he record, recorded a lot about Roman history. And Cassius Dio wrote this story about a man named Vidius Polio who was a very mean guy. 
kind of a tyrant, and he treated his servants very badly. And Cassius Dio wrote this, Once when Vidius Polio was entertaining Augustus, his cupbearer broke a crystal goblet. Thereupon Polio, paying no attention to his guest, the Caesar, ordered the slave to be thrown to the eels and eaten alive. The boy fell on his knees before Augustus and implored his protection. So the, the slave boy is appealing to the Caesar now. And the emperor at first tried to persuade Polio not to commit so appalling an action. When Polio paid no heed, Augustus said, Bring all your other drink vessels like this one or any others of value that you possess for me to use. When these were brought, he ordered them to be smashed, each and every one smashed, in the presence of Polio. Polio naturally vexed at the sight, but since he could no longer be angry about the one goblet in view of the multitude of others that had been destroyed and could not punish his servant for an act that Augustus had repeated, he restrained himself and said nothing. Augustus gives the order. Augustus' authority and power prevented Polio from taking further action. Not so with Paul. Paul has the authority, he says, to command, or I like the word order. He has the authority to order Philemon to do a particular action. But he doesn't do that, does he? He appeals to Philemon for the sake of what? Love. Christian, biblical love. A love that arises from what? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul vetted Onesimus. He approves of Onesimus and his faith in Christ and his usefulness to the kingdom of Christ. And now he appeals to Philemon, speaking very fondly and passionately about his new convert and son in the faith. What father wouldn't appeal for his son in this way? Understanding that this lost child has been found. He was blind, but now he sees. Onesimus is a believer in Jesus Christ. And Paul appeals to Philemon. Philemon, will you show Onesimus the same courtesy and love that you have shown those in the house church? Look with me in your Bible at verse 4 to 7. Look how Paul strategically places those verses I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Philemon, Will you show the same love that you have for those saints to Onesimus, your former slave? 
I appeal to you to apply the gospel in your life. If a former inmate in one of the prisons that Divine Hope Seminary works in is released from prison, people of God, would you receive, would you appeal to one another passionately for your brother or sister in the Lord who's been converted to Christ? In other words, Philemon Here is an opportunity for you to do what is right and good and gospel-centered. I can order you to do it. I can order you to do it. But when you order something, and we're going to get to this later, when you order someone to do something, what's the possible outcome? How does a person obey that order? Is it from the heart, or is it merely external? That's why Apostle Paul appeals. When you appeal to someone, you're appealing to the what? Heart. A heart that has been transformed by what? Gospel. Now, i got to talk about the obvious here. Paul makes a passionate appeal on behalf of his a brother in the Lord Jesus, shouldn't Paul be making a passionate appeal for Onesimus' freedom? Shouldn't he be rebuking Philemon for owning a bondservant? Shouldn't he be arguing for emancipation, what is called in those days manumission, the release and freedom of a slave or a bondservant? This is a pressing question. We got to remember that Paul's objective here is not social or policy change in the kingdom of Rome. Paul's purpose and objective is how master and bondservant relate to one another in Christ. How the master views the servant in Christ, and how the servant views the master in Christ. Now to be sure, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God transforms culture. God by his grace and gospel transforms culture. And we see that in human history. We see the providence of God working in the world. But Paul's objective is that whatever status and whatever status a person has in those days, are you honoring Christ as Lord? And are you loving one another? Slavery was commonplace throughout history in those days. And it wasn't based on ethnicity or the color of one's skin. The people of a nation enslaved their own people. Slavery was commonplace, and for slave owners, it was financial and economic benefits. It was cheap labor. In those days, it was even argued that the emancipation of slaves would have caused economic and financial ruin 
for masters and very detrimental and harmful for slaves because the slaves then, if they were emancipated, would be legally free, but their circumstances would not change at all. In fact, it would be worse. And that's why slaves in those days preferred to be under the roof of their master. But does that make it right? We have to understand what we're talking about when we talk about slavery, when it, refer, when it comes to the Bible. The Bible clearly condemns enslaving a man or a woman, which the Bible calls man-stealing. Enslaving a person against his own or her will. Recently there was a TV interview with Elon Musk and the interviewer and Musk were talking about slavery for some reason. I'm not quite sure what, what the context was there. But then they both went to the Bible and talked about how the Bible is a proponent of slavery and endorses slavery and even makes it a big deal that slavery is permissible. Does it? These were two people that are highly influential in culture and society saying that the Bible teaches something that it really doesn't teach. For example, when you hear the commandment, you shall not steal, do you know that that, first and foremost, has the idea of man-stealing, among other things, of course? But man-stealing is a part of it. You shall not steal a man and make him a slave against his will. Furthermore, in the next chapter, Exodus chapter 21, verse 16, whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. In other words, slavery, man-stealing, is an abomination in the sight of God. It is reprehensible in the eyes of God. And this kind of slavery that plagued this nation in the early years has thankfully, by God's grace, been forbidden and against the law. Paul elsewhere will talk about man-stealing. In fact, he says to Timothy, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexual sexuality, enslavers, those who sell men and women into slavery, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. So elsewhere, Paul condemns it, but he doesn't condemn it here in Philemon. Because we have to know the context and the appeal that Paul is making. You see, the Bible also talks about a practice of slavery or bondservanthood that was practiced, for example, as a thief. A thief paid the penalty of his crime by coming under someone's house, going under a master's house to pay his debt or her debt. There was also the practice of indentured servitude. People who paid off a financial debt by becoming a servant in a master's home. And the debtor, the bondservant, would sign a contract stating that he would come under that person's house for a number of years. 
and serve as the person's bondservant. Which one of these was Onesimus to Philemon? Was he an indentured servant? Was he a thief who came under his house to repay the debt? Or was he actually a slave bought with money? We don't know. We do know he's a runaway slave. And boys and girls, a runaway slave meant that it was punishable by death. It was a capital offense. A serious crime. But however, in those days, no slave owner would put their bondservant to death because it defeated the purpose for why they even had them. Cheap labor, make money, greed. And so they would treat them harsher, punish them more severely, give them harder labor. Paul appeals to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, a runaway slave who has come to faith in Jesus. Philemon, how will you receive? How will you receive Onesimus now? Look at me at the second point. Love voluntarily receives a brother in the Lord. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. That is, Paul would love to keep Onesimus as a co-laborer in the gospel. Someone who can be an encourager, someone who can do the work of ministry along with Paul. Co-laborers in the gospel are a good thing. But, Paul says in verse 14, I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord or your own free will. By law, Paul doesn't have the right to demand anything from Philemon or appeal for Onesimus' release or just even tell him what to do. Paul would love to have Onesimus set aside, but he will send them back and he will put it in Philemon's courts. That's why he says, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion or coercion, but by your own accord, own accord, your own free will. Will you receive this runaway slave with open and merciful arms from a heart that loves Christ and knows the gospel and will receive Onesimus in the same way that he receives other brothers and sisters? Listen, Paul says here he hopes that Philemon's goodness will be motivated of his own free will and not by coercion through an order. And we come back to this again. External obedience to an order will not, will not do Philemon any good inwardly. 
Paul is looking to Philemon and his heart. It's not do good for goodness sake. Let your goodness be shown from a heart that has been transformed by the gospel. Why do you do what you do, Christian? Why do you do good? Do you do it for goodness sake or you do good to glorify God and because God is doing a work and has done a work in your heart and life? When you bark an order to somebody, do this, and the person obeys, how does that help him spiritually, inwardly? Will Philemon show goodness that comes from a willing heart, a heart renewed by grace? And Paul even goes to the providence of God. Verse 15, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. In God's providence, could it be, Philemon, that this happened so that you would receive Philemon or Onesimus as a Christian brother? As a man changed and renewed by God, as a man who is now worthy of the name Onesimus, useful. So if you consider me your partner, if you consider me one who has koinonia, who has fellowship with you in Christ, receive him also. Just as you receive me, receive him. Consider him your partner in the gospel. Forgive him. Forgive him. That's what the gospel demands. That is the gospel applied. Forgive him and consider him a brother. Think of the gospel demand here. Is, isn't this the application of the gospel in your life, Christian? To receive a brother or sister in the Lord is to rejoice in the God of our salvation for converting them to Christ, but it's also forgiving them of their debts. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our what? Debtors. If you can't forgive the debts of your brothers and sisters, says Jesus, then your Father in heaven will not forgive you your debts. It's not an order, it's an appeal. Receive him as one forgiven by Christ, loved by Christ. saying to Philemon, do we not share 
in the same partnership, in the same fellowship in Christ? Let's see your feet or your faith take action here. Let's see the gospel applied. Thirdly, love readily intercedes for the sake of a brother in the Lord. Verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying here that he has become the patron of both Philemon and Onesimus. That is, he is the guardian of both because both were influenced by Paul's ministry in the gospel. Philemon was blessed by Paul's ministry. Onesimus was blessed by Paul's ministry. Both are indebted to Paul. You hear what he said there, verse 18? If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. God put me in your life by his providence so that you would hear the gospel and believe and know the forgiveness of Christ and his love. But Paul takes it a step further. He readily intercedes. Whatever Philemon or Onesimus owns, owes to you, I will repay it. I will repay it. He's offering his own possessions for the sake of a brother in the Lord. He's just not giving verbal talk. No, he's putting talk into action. It's the gospel applied. He readily intercedes by telling Philemon, I will use my own resources, my own financial resources, so that his debts are paid. Give me the bill, Philemon. Don't give it to Onesimus. Give me the bill. I'll take it. Everything will be reimbursed by me. Congregation of Christ, this is a follower of Jesus who knows the gospel. This is the gospel applied in Paul's own life. One who has been radically transformed by Jesus and the Spirit. And in doing so, this would refresh Paul's heart in Christ. This idea of refresh my heart in Christ. That is, give my heart rest by your participation in Christ. Your participation with me in the gospel of Christ. And forgiving him and considering him a brother. Again, he's going back to verses 4 to 7. And how Philemon refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now refresh my heart. Refresh my heart. Will Philemon apply the gospel? Will he choose the right thing with good motives? Will the reception 
of Onesimus by Philemon come from a heart that is renewed by the Spirit, transformed by grace. You know, today, today Paul would be considered an idealist. So heavenly minded, trying to attain an ideal way of living that's not applicable to us today. This is the gospel applied. This is the gospel applied. He readily intercedes for a man who owes a great debt. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I dare to say that Paul's treasure was Christ. He counted all things as lost for the sake of Christ. He wanted nothing more than to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, which we'll look at tonight. Paul wanted his life so immersed in Christ that the gospel shows forth in his life. And from, we, from this text, we have much to learn. There are many principles to be drawn from this text. Namely, that we are to owe nothing to anyone except love. Because each and every one of us, friends, are indebted to Christ. Indebted to his love for us. For we are great debtors. Our sin is great, but his grace is greater than all of our sins. We are indebted to the one who came and died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we owe it to no one anything but to love one another. And the love that is talked about here, that is applied here by the apostle as he appeals to Philemon is an application of the gospel that speaks to this great love. To appeal to one another for the sake of another brother in the Lord. To voluntarily be willing to demonstrate that love to one another and to readily intercede for one another. Those are principles that are applied, ought to be applied from this text. Remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think Philemon is actually an application, really, of Paul's words in Romans 13. When he says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The love of Christ, friends, demands demands and even compels us to live our lives that is applying the gospel every day, giving our whole hearts 
to Christ. Knowing that we are truly debtors to Christ first and foremost and debtors to one another. Our Lord freed us from slavery to sin and unrighteousness. And he released us from these sins and this slavery so that we would glorify him and serve him in righteousness and holiness and to do so among the body of Christ and, yes, even our neighbor. What are you willing to lose, Christian? What are you willing to lose? What treasure are you willing to dig up in your heart and give to the cause of Christ and for the good of your neighbor? What are you willing to lose in order to apply the gospel of Christ and to glorify God with your life? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So perhaps the Spirit of the living God needs to do heart surgery with a scalpel and dig deeply into our bodies, our souls, our hearts to expose what that issue is that is preventing us from applying the gospel. The gospel demands our whole hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we indeed are debtors to you. We love you, O Lord, and we thank you for releasing us from the bondage of sin, death, and hell, from slavery to sin, and that we can know the freedom in Christ and the joy of your spirits. O Lord God, we pray that you would cast down the idols of our hearts. We pray, O Lord God, that we would be renewed by the power of your spirits in our hearts and minds, that you would teach us, O Lord, what it means to daily put on Christ and to give our very hearts, our whole hearts, to you and to the cause of the kingdom. May we, O Lord, be compelled by Christ's love for us, that we learn daily to take up our cross and to follow Christ, that we would learn daily to take those treasures that we hold dearly, those treasures that are outside of Christ, those things that we think will make us happy or joyful, those things that we think will satisfy us or give us comfort. Oh, Lord God, may you teach us, we pray, that our treasure would be Christ. And that in having him as our greatest treasure, we would learn and grow 
in the wisdom and knowledge of our Lord and learn and grow in the way in which we apply the gospel and the great treasure that we have in Christ so that you, O God, are glorified and the people of God are blessed. Oh, Father, we pray that you would grant us your grace and that you would indeed take our life and let it be consecrated all to thee, O God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. But this time I encourage you to take out your songbook as we turn to number 538. We're going to stand to sing the six stanzas, Take My Life and Let It Be. The last stanza, stanza six, we'll sing with just our voices a cappella. Following the benediction, we'll sing number 473, By the Sea of Crystal. 
stanza one and three. And just a reminder about the National Day of Prayer this Thursday evening, beginning at 7 p.m. We encourage you to join us for that. Also, there will be a time of fellowship following the service this morning, so we encourage our visitors to join us for that as well. As we leave this time of worship, God sends us on our way with his blessing. What an amazing, amazing truth and thought to think that God sends us by his grace with his word and blessing so that we go forth into this world as his people to serve him, to give him our whole hearts in worship and in service to his kingdom. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The countenance of the Lord be upon you and give you peace. And God's people said, Amen.